0: feeling or feeling that you had this week and why so if you don't know each other introduce introduce yourselves all right who in here had just like a super awesome first week back to school josh that's it okay round of applause for josh for being positive (laughs) you don't even go to school Okay, so we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you're not already there. As you may have noticed from last week, Ecclesiastes, not the most uplifting book. It's a little bit of a Debbie Downer, especially the first couple chapters. But we can't really understand the book of Ecclesiastes without remembering that God uses the words of this book to point us to Jesus. And that's going to be our constant drumbeat Throughout this study is that we need Jesus, and hopefully, that will be very clear by the end of today, in the end of every sermon. So Ecclesiastes is a book that points to and longs for Jesus to come. If you noticed last week. Um, Solomon was, was observing many things in nature. He was observing the sun rising and setting. He was observing the wind, the sea. And this week he's going to be kind of reflecting, looking back on his life, taking from his own experience. So, what we're going to do is we're going to read the verses for tonight. I'm going to have Briggs read Ecclesiastes 1 for us. We're going to read the whole chapter.
1: Should I start with chapter 2? <laughs> the words of the preacher the son of david king in jerusalem vanity of vanities, says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what is man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, where they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher who have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and, sh- and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were all who were all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much, much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow.
0: Thanks, Briggs. Okay, so as you can see, this second half of the chapter is not much more um, positive than last week. And so we're also reminded of the power and influence that Solomon had. We see that in the first couple of verses. We see that he's kind of reflecting back, and based on verse 12, it seems like he's older, and he's reflecting on his life experiences. And after doing this like deep search in himself, he's reflecting on how tough life can be at times. You can almost hear the frustration when you read his words. He states that God has given us this miserable task of work on earth. And like we talked about last week, he is speaking of the work that we have been cursed with in Genesis 3, where work feels very burdensome. Solomon states that everything we do seems like chasing after the wind, after an impossible task, and maybe at times it feels a little pointless. So in order to illustrate this, I need two volunteers. Can I have two brave souls to come up here on stage? You two. Elliot, Eli, come on up. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Which one of you is confident in your bubble-blowing abilities? Okay, he's halfway. All right, we'll give you this bottle of bubbles here. And then Elliot, your goal is to try to catch as many bubbles as you can in 30 seconds in that jar. I I know. Okay. so we need someone who will be designated as our counter. Katie can count. Paige can count. You do it together. All right, so we're going to give Eli 30 seconds to blow as many bubbles as he can, Elliot, to try to get this. So counting down from 30 down. Okay. Are you ready? Go, 30, 29, 28, 27, 26, 25, 24, 23, 22, Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right. Okay, let's see. I, I see nothing in here. Literally, this is your life's work. There's nothing to it. It's chasing after the wind. Elliot loses. He gets zero bubbles. All right, you guys can go. Be seated. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Okay, so as you can see, it's impossible for us to catch bubbles with our hands or in a jar or catch wind in our hands. Yet we put all this effort, we saw that Elliot, he was trying, but he, at the end of the day, none of the bubbles remained in the jar. We put all of our efforts to find meaning in satisfaction in things like pleasure, possessions, money, or success, but these things trick us. Like, Elliot maybe thought he had a chance there for a second. They trick us into thinking that these are worthwhile pursuits. But here God, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, is exposing them. Solomon has seen it all. We're going to see that in the chapters to come. He has seen it all, but he is still coming up empty. So let's look back down at chapter, or sorry, verse 15. It says, For what is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So when we look at this, um, crooked means moral brokenness or sin. So it doesn't take long for us to discover that this world exists in a broken state. Think about the last week. Think about just turning on the news. What do you see? You see coverage on a global pandemic. You see political upheaval. You think see the tragedies that are happening in Afghanistan, the bombings. You also see things like gossip Slander, broken families, self harm. Literally, brokenness is everywhere. And humanity has rebelled. We've gone rogue. We have rebelled against God's design. Because of our own sin and the sin of others, we live in a very broken world. Sometimes we're even numb to this brokenness. Like, think about a test. A test coming up in a couple weeks. What do most high schoolers do? A lot of high schoolers cheat. And a lot of times we justify this. We say, well, everyone else is doing it. Why is it wrong? Everyone else is doing it. Or you get at your lunch table and you start talking about your friend. And um, you start judging your friend and gossiping about your friend. But it doesn't necessarily feel wrong because we're numb to it. We're numb to the sin and the brokenness in our life. But it's undeniable that we can't go a day without experiencing some sort of sin and brokenness. Um, And we start to accept this like it's normal, because there would be no other way to cope. Um, So sin becomes this normalized thing. We lie to avoid further punishment, and we kind of spin ourselves into further brokenness. But when we take a step back, like Solomon did, to really think and contemplate life, the weight of the brokenness comes crashing down on us. And there's no way that we can fix this brokenness on our own strength. It would literally take a miracle outside of ourselves. And I I think about that even with the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan. I've kind of just been just hurting because there's literally nothing I can do but pray. There's nothing that I can do in myself to fix the situation that's happening over there. There's nothing that I can do on my own. Um, It takes a miracle outside of ourselves to fix what is broken. So we're going to actually flip back to Genesis 3. It should be on page like 2 or 3 of your Bibles. Um, To kind of see where this brokenness started. So we talk about the curse a lot. We talk about the curse a lot even in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to read where that that comes from. And so um, can I have a volunteer... Elliot, will you read Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19? All the way down to 19? 14 through 19. Okay,
2: cool. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. You will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you, will, and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will testify your labor pains, and you will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from, the ground is cursed because, because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust.
0: All right, I really know how to pick. Uplifting verses, don't I? Okay, so we see that uh, this sin of idolatry in rebelling against God is not new. It's been since the second, th- sorry, third chapter of the Bible. It's th- written throughout the entire story of the Bible pretty much, besides for the first two chapters. But it's not just us. We know that in Exodus, we see the Israel's, Israelites did the same thing they created this golden calf. And when God didn't deliver, they expected a golden calf to. A calf that couldn't speak, couldn't comprehend, couldn't correct, couldn't listen. An idol that couldn't benefit them literally in any way besides forgive them a tiny bit of comfort that they were in control. I mean, isn't that what we do? We create these idols to make ourselves feel like we're in control. But when we look back on the Israelites, we're like, it's a golden calf. What did you expect? But we literally do the same thing. Idols attempt to fill these empty parts inside of us. They um, completely miss the fact that they could have been in fellowship with God. And we did the same thing. The Israelites were literally being led and directed by God but they could not find their satisfaction in him. They were distracted. They were trying to control the situation. We completely miss the fact that in fellowship with God, there is full satisfaction for all the desires of our soul. And Jackie Hill Perry said it this way. She said, whenever we trust anything other than a holy God to save us from our fears, doubts, and anxieties, satisfy our deepest longings, and provide every need, we have bursted into an unholy God to be what it would never will. And so when we are broken, we try to find ways out of our brokenness. But that only leads us to feeling more empty. We turn to experiences, substances, friends to try to find this this sense of purpose. Uh, but we even see from Solomon that not even his wisdom or his superior intellect could keep him from feeling this discontentment. And so if we look back down at verses 16 and 17, it said, I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that it is too a pursuit of the wind. So we see Solomon is wiser than anyone else, and that didn't fix him. We also see in chapter 2 that Solomon partied harder than anyone else and that also did not fix him. So he tried to live the right way through wisdom and he tried to live the wrong way through partying and literally nothing that he did would satisfy him. It all felt like he was just trying to grab the wind. And so we're going to watch a short clip I realize now it's kind of in bad taste because it's of Tom Brady. Um, so hopefully you'll forgive me. But this clip is, dates all the way back to 2005 when he was 27 and he had already won, a, I think a couple Super Bowls at that point. And he, um, he's a model for a wife. He has all of the riches, all of the success, all of the fame that he could want. But you'll see here that he's still left longing for something.
3: Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? And, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't... This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it in 27 and what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and different ways of expression, being around. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with Great people, and I think I get more out of that than anything.
0: All right, so you can see this man who has, by our standards, literally anything that he could want, is still left with this like deep longing for something better. And ultimately, he ends it by saying, Well, he finds some joy in family and friends, but we know, like, even family and friends, they're good gifts, but they're not our ultimate solution. We know that our family and friends let us down. We know that they're sinful and that they're going to break our trust. They're going to hurt our feelings. And God created them and um, created relationship, but ultimately that's not where we can find our satisfaction. So part of me gets sad watching this clip of Tom Brady, who in the world's eyes has everything that you could ever want, but still is left longing for something deeper. And that's kind of the same idea that Solomon has here. Uh, Matt Chandler puts it this way when contrasting the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you don't know, Job is a book filled with loss, heartache, and suffering. He says, people who are in a Job-like state of suffering think, if I had more money or better friends or if I did not have this disease, then life would be better. But Solomon comes along in Ecclesiastes to destroy that notion. Solomon had it all, but still was not better." And so um, when we think about that situation, we know that no circumstance, no specific blessing is going to make us feel full satisfaction. And at times, Ecclesiastes, it's very bleak. Uh, But there is purpose in this book, and God wants to expose the meaningless in this life in order to create a hunger for something better. I'm going to say that again. God wants to expose the meaningless of this life in order to create a hunger for something better. And that's where we're going to end. We're going to end the same place that we did last week. Um, So the book of Ecclesiastes shows us that we need Jesus. We don't need things or experiences. Nothing on this earth is going to satisfy our souls. We need something bigger and better, and Jesus is that. And we know that if we had nothing, we could still be content if all that we had was the Lord. And so if you're feeling discontentment, and I know everybody in probably some way in this room is feeling that, I would encourage you to look within and ask yourself some of those hard questions of where you find your greatest hope and what is your deepest desire. And you'll never be satisfied if the answers to those questions are achievement, people, or material items. So that's what we're going to end with. Jesus alone can satisfy our needs. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll break into D groups. God, it's so easy to chase after so many different things. Achievements, grades, being liked even. We just want to take some time and repent of those things, those things that we have made bigger than you, Lord. And if there's people in this room who um, are not exactly tracking or don't exactly believe that Jesus could be the solution to their satisfaction, Lord, I just pray that they'd continue to press in, Lord, that they would continue to ask questions and that you would meet them there, that you would be their first and full satisfaction, Lord. And I pray that for everyone in this room that we would long for you above all else.
2: In your name I pray, amen.